introduction and we'll get into it. And get the nice little set of audience in here. Been waiting for this day, man. Yeah, man. And I'm and see the way we're doing it today, man. It's a little different, man. You know what I'm saying? Like I I like doing it. I've been watching a lot of No Jumper. Um I watch Star, all these different guys who stream live, right? And sometimes some of the best interviews you can get is, you know, from just having an interactive thing with the audience, being able to tap in at the same time. Of course. Yeah. So big salute to all the people right now who are tapping in. You know what I'm saying? We got a special one going on today. Um, I'm going to make a quick post here on Instagram to just let the people know that we got a, a special guest, a friend of mine who's been doing a multitude of things to reach where he is today, right? Like I'm talking about from sound engineering. Yep. I love engineering, by the way. I'm going to ask you about that at one point too, because like, I feel like you still might be behind the boards. You might still have like a little, a pro tool set up somewhere in the crib. You know what I'm saying? It's set up, but it's not fired up or else I would be dropping tracks or something by now, man. I'm, See? I'm itching. I'm itching. Right. <laughs> um, legal, getting into legal practicing or practicing. Um, how, how do I say that? Practicing law. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then getting into politics, you know, I first ran in 1997. Yeah, we talked about that because this is a second time that you're here on the network. And for the people who don't know and who are just pulling up on the YouTube live right now, salute. We have Nia Singh in the building, um, electoral candidate Nia Singh in the build, building. Yes, provincial candidate for Humber River Black Creek, also known as Finch. Okay. Finch. Okay, so let's get into that even off top before we get into anything else, right? Yeah. Um, tell me about how the campaign's been going. Um, tell me about the campaign itself and uh, the area that you're riding for. So the campaigns have been going very well. Um, I have amazing volunteers, campaign manager, people who understand what I stand for, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they're supporting me wholeheartedly. Um, it's a really short campaign, four weeks. Okay. Um, and I am still running the practice. So all day, every day, I'm working on uh, court files. But in the evening, I take a break and I go work on the community and spread the word. Because, you know, I think it's important that people who are marginalized and put off from politics understand there's people out there who actually have it in their heart to do the right thing. Mm. And if they want to vote for somebody, they can vote for somebody they can trust instead of saying, you know, I don't want to get involved everybody's a liar yeah um, at least when they see me they say okay wait i recognize you i've seen you around here you've done things that i value so yes i'm going to give you my vote and i just want our community and all people who are pushed away from voting to actually get up and vote because that's the only way things are going to change do you think that it's been getting easier over the years to get people to come out and vote or is it still a difficult task it's difficult but i notice this time people aren't as resistant to thinking about voting. Okay. I think they're so fed up with what they've seen on TV and how things are going mm -hmm. that they're like, they're ready to put their trust into someone who's different. Yeah. And when I say I'm independent, their, their eyes perk up a bit and they, and they listen more. And I say, look, I'm independent because the parties are only answering to the party. Mm -hmm. They're not answering to the people that live in the riding. Yeah. So yeah. If I were to get elected, my focus is the constituents. 
The constituents tell the representative what to do, and the representative takes that back to the House and makes sure their voice is heard. Mm -hmm. That's how it's supposed to be. And and what is the one of the main um, things that you know you're looking to change once you get um, put into office? Really, how the dollars are spent in the area. Okay, I find that. Um, well, for the whole provincial government, they get hundreds of billions of dollars every year. We don't realize how much money they're playing with. Mm -hmm. And we see the same low uh, services continue. We don't see Ontario Works or ODSP improve so people can actually have some quality of life. Um, we don't see things put into health care. Well, money that goes into health care gets wasted. Right. Right. Um, so it's really the wasteful spending and the lack of attention to personal issues in the area. And I think the youth need the most attention, mm -hmm. like education and employment opportunities are the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't just give people jobs, but you can create jobs by stimulating the economy through loans and grants, mm -hmm. which are good. But if you can change the education system whereby youth are actually learning quality skills, they will now more be involved in society yeah. and start a business and um, be engaged in education and maybe go on to be a professional whether it's a doctor, lawyer, teacher, even in the trades. Yeah. Right? But we're so put off by school because it doesn't make sense. The things we're learning don't connect with our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. And if education changes, and I, and I would be a big proponent for that, um, then I think we'll see more success in our communities. Now, even with you like doing this for, and, and just to repeat again to the audience, like for what specific community that you're doing, um, you're, you're, you're it's, running for? It's Humber River, Black Creek. Okay. So that goes from Steeles down to around Shepherd, from Keel over to Weston. That's the general boundary. Mm -hmm. But the center and the heart is Jane and Finch. Right. And uh, Jane and Finch has one of the most diverse populations, highly concentrated. Mm -hmm. But there's also the stigma of, of poverty, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a mixture of homeowners that have nice homes, but then you have the housing yeah. and then the poverty and the violence that goes along with it. And that's only a result of a lack of attention. Right, because if those representatives of those areas were actually focused on that riding, mm -hmm. it, it has to improve, right? Yeah. But what I see is happening is gentrification. We saw what happened with Regent Park. We saw what happened with Jungle. Mm -hmm. They're doing the same thing with Finch right now. They're they're tearing down all the old buildings and they're putting up condos and complexes. Okay. And who's going to get to live there? People with money, yeah. not people who have worked there 20, 30 years, establishing families. How are they going to have enough capital to, to purchase a place? So I would actually like to see the builders set aside a percentage of their homes for residents of the area that can buy in. Mm -hmm. And the government should really supplement them if they don't have enough for a down payment. So even like with the gentrification, right, as somebody who's been working in, uh, you know, working in politics, working like in as far as city service for so many years, right? For people on the outside and for people who are less educated on what happens with gentrification, where are the people being placed exactly? Because you mentioned Regent Park. For what we know, a lot of people from Regent Park get placed to like Brampton. They go further east and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, you mentioned other areas like um, what's another gentrified area that's starting to really happen? Jungle, like Lawrence Jungle, Heights. Right. Yeah. So they start pushing them more west and all that. So then what's going to happen now if they start gentrifying, like what's going to happen with the other places? Like, like what, what is the ripple effect? The ripple effect is people being pushed to the outside boundaries of the city. Mm -hmm. if they agree to, to be there. Um, but it also it can mean they end up anywhere. But one of the latent problems I see is unfortunately people have territorial beefs, mm. right? And I know a lot of region people were sent out to Scarborough, which 
you know, it shouldn't be an issue, but sometimes it is an issue. It makes it like a kind of a mixed up thing now. Yeah, it makes it a mixed up thing. And then yeah. you're out of like a fish out of water. So it's like, you know, gentrification has a lot of, there's small good points because you can improve the, the look and feel of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But the negative aspect is the people who've lived there are now pushed out. If they remain there and came back there, then it would make sense because it's just like you're renovating your neighborhood. Right. But you're not renovating, you're gentrifying and you're bringing other people in and pushing the people you don't want out. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, let's get back to education for a quick second, right? Um, with the class sizes and all the different stuff that's going on um, in that specific area that, that, that you're running, um, give me the proper terminology that I should be using. The riding. Riding for, yeah. right? Riding in. Um, is there an issue with the teachers and stuff like that too? Like, you know, underpaid, overworked. Yes. You know what I'm absolutely. saying? Where they're not as motivated to want to educate a kid that's like even going through troubles at home and stuff. You're, you're hitting the nail on the head right now. Um, because my firm did the school suspension and expulsions, mm -hmm. we came across a lot of situations where teachers were just so tired of dealing with problem students yeah. that they just wanted them out so they didn't have to deal with the problem. Mm -hmm. I actually had a meeting today of a similar situation where a young person is given a little bit of problems because there's some anxiety at home for, for some other issues mm -hmm. and they just want to send the kid home. They're calling yeah. the mom, you know, take them home, take them home, take them home. And she's like, I got to work, right? So teachers have lost... I'm not saying all teachers, mm -hmm. but it seems like when you're in a concentration of a neighborhood that has a lot of problems, teachers are, are starting to lose that drive to really fix the problem. And it's more like, let's just get rid of the problem. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the teachers there need more support. Um, the provincial government has to put more money into education to provide more access to creative programming, mm -hmm. things that the youth are, are interested in. Um, but yes, what they do is, is they just let them out. So now when I come in, and other of my associates, we speak to the teachers and say, look, did you know this person had two death, two friends just recently died within mm. that past six months? And they're like, no, we didn't know that. So, well, if you communicated more, you would know that. Yeah. And now it makes sense to the teacher why the child's acting out. Yeah. Because there's issues going on. So what the communication is the big, big key. But then mm -hmm. another problem is a lot of the parents of these kids aren't engaged in the system mm. for one they don't feel confident being there for two they're working multiple jobs or for three they just may not be engaged parents yeah and you find that the parents that are engaged the most have higher success rates for their kids mm -hmm. because the teachers know the parents gonna come if they do something wrong the parents coming yeah when when no parent comes for a child the teachers know they can just put them out of the class, they can penalize them, they can exclude them from things, and there's gonna be no repercussions. Yeah. So our families and our communities have to get more involved with their children's education, and instead of putting them in front of a tablet every so often, give them a book, mm -hmm. right? But reading is a lost art, and I find that reading is actually one of the things that got me to where I am, because as a young child, my mother always used to give me books to read, always do my times tables, and that just, ingrained a, a level of communication understanding spelling so when i had to write it wasn't an issue yeah and then i was able to be more confident going through the school process mm -hmm. um i think the kids lack confidence because they're just not settled with those basic skills now i'm going to push back a little bit on, on that I, I i definitely respect what you're saying but a lot of times with or these days with social media with so many different images that people can access at such a quick point, it's hard to get a kid to sit and read something. It is, 
if you don't start it early. Mm. What I find, and, and, and people out there might be able to see this, seems like autism is on the rise and a lot of kids have um, attention deficit disorders because as a young age, at one and two years old, they're giving the tablet mm. and the kid sits there and plays with the tablet. So now the child is now focused on the interaction with the tablet or the phone. Yeah. They don't know how to look an adult or a, a, another person in the eye and have a conversation because yeah. they're so socially isolated. Their world is that phone now or mm -hmm. that tablet. So it is hard to get, some, it's hard to get anyone to sit down and read nowadays, Yeah, but it is something that is a lost art, even writing. Mm -hmm. Most people don't even know how to do cursive anymore or even just print their name. Spell, dude. Spelling, yeah. That, and that's why I say reading, because the more you read is the more you're exposed to different words and then mm -hmm. your vocabulary increases. Yeah, so. yeah. And even with like the area that you're writing in, right? Gun violence is, is it's uh, when it comes to the news, it's one of the places that you always see come up in the news. West End, um, they always say, um, north um north york and then when you hear the streets that are because i'm like I, there's two north yorks right yeah could be the east end of north york or could it be the west end of north york yep but um, i always wait for the streets and they'll be like jane and something and i'm like ah oh. yeah yeah so there's one thing where there's a lot of gun violence right so i have a two-part question one what can you do to bring down some of that gun violence once you're elected or if if and once you're elected yep and two do you think that there's partially a stigma on that area because of the gun violence? Like it's actually heightened in far as the awareness to make that stigma even stronger. Absolutely a stigma. It's been there for decades since we were young, right? Mm -hmm. So that stigma is permanently there. Um, when it comes to solutions, opportunity is one, but getting to the first, getting to the young ones when they're like seven, eight, nine, yeah because when they're seven eight nine they're not so heavily influenced but when they hit 10 11 12 they're starting to go through puberty mm -hmm. they're looking up to the older ones they want to emulate that yeah but if you can ingrain into them a path and a future and what's right from wrong and and where your life could end up if you take the wrong path they will be more conscious to avoid those paths mm -hmm. you can't get everyone to avoid them because sometimes it's your environment yeah right um but if you have the knowledge of, of legal knowledge of economics of just knowing that you could end up dead or in jail, um, those kids might steer away. So that's one thing, getting them really early. Mm. But the second thing is not giving up on those who are already involved. Right. And, and that's a lot of things, that's what I hear from a lot of politicians or a lot of educators. Oh, once they're 15, 16, they're lost. There's right. no hope for them. Not at all. Um, I know people who are in their 40s now who have changed from when they were 20 and 18, 19, and they've changed their lives. And um, it doesn't mean that a 16-year-old is hopeless, but we have to listen to what that 16-year-old is saying because the fact that they can walk out into the street and get shot um, at any time is real. Mm -hmm. And because other people don't live that lifestyle, it seems alien to them. You're right. But that's an, an actual reality, and we have to factor that in into the solutions. They need support constantly, and it can't be support from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock when the community center is open. This has to be 24 hour around the clock. And I'll, and I'll quote Louis March, like Louis March from Zero Gun Violence always says that, like mm -hmm. what's happening in the 2 a.m., 3 a.m. when the shadow people are out, like who do they have to go to? Yeah. And, and that's what I would do. If I had the budget and, and the uh, resources, I'd be making sure there are 24 hour uh, places where people can go that they feel safe, mm -hmm. that they could communicate, that they can, you know, just reason. Yeah. Because um, 
reasoning is something that we don't do anymore. And one of the heavy influences on gun violence is conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. I find that our community, again, due to the lack of self-esteem and to the lack of always trying to prove yourself, we can't let a man uh, disrespect us or a woman disrespect us in the slightest way. We have to react right away to prove a point. Yeah. As opposed to saying, you know, that that's uncalled for. Like, I didn't come at you like that. Yeah. Did you misinterpret me. Like, you got to articulate yourself. And, and we have a problem. The community has a problem articulating themselves. And mm -hmm. I think that leads to a lot of gun violence. And the fact that you don't want to be disrespected um, is another cause of this gun violence. Now, territorial things is, is another issue. That's the major thing. Mm -hmm. We don't own the streets. And I know it's a, it's a cliche because we say it all the time. We don't own the neighborhoods. So how can you claim it? Yeah. Yes, you live in that environment. No, you don't want anyone disrespecting it. But at the same time, what are we fighting over? People should be working together. Big businesses, they, they cooperate. They become conglomerates mm -hmm. and they take over other businesses. Um, people in the neighborhood, they don't work together. Yeah. They're always working against each other. And it's I find, always competition. Yeah, yeah, competition. And we have to start seeing each other as human beings more. Black people specifically and, and black men have been objectified for hundreds of years. Mm. We are commodities, right? Through the slave trade, we were commodities to produce. And now in sports arena, we're commodities to produce. And in the entertainment field, we're commodities to produce. I find that there's a lack of empathy for people with darker skin, mm. especially the black male. And I'll tell you this, um, the, those two tragedies within a week, the mass killing in Buffalo yeah. and the mass killing in, in Texas, you can see the way the media treated them differently. Yeah. Right. And no one's really talking about it. And I know it's, it's a bit taboo because when you start talking about it, people think, oh, what, you don't care about the other people? No, we care about everybody. Yeah. But the fact is the media attention on the killings in Buffalo was much shorter, much quicker, and less empathetic. Mm. And we have to try to understand why is that happening? Yeah. You know, um, but we have to, we as people, as black people, black men, have to look at each other and value each other's lives. Mm -hmm. um, we never think about, okay, if I, if I pop this guy, like, what's his mom going to feel? What's yeah. his daughter going to feel? His son, his girlfriend, you know, friends. We're not thinking about that because it's just a body. And, and, and in these songs, it's just another N-word. Like, I don't want to perpetuate saying the word, mm -hmm. but you all know what I'm saying. Like, you yeah. hear it so often. Oh, yeah. I, I raise up and I, you know, blast it and wet up. the block. You know, you know what I mean? Man, had his mama crying. So listen, bef before we continue, I want to send a big salute to the people here on Instagram. I want y'all to tap into our YouTube right now. We're on YouTube. I have an exclusive interview with Nia Singh right here in the building. All right. We're going to be getting into some some conversations about what he has going on with um, with the election coming up this Thursday. OK, I want you all to make sure make sure to exercise your right to vote. All right. Tap into the YouTube. If you are and for the people on YouTube right now, if you all want to ask some questions and get your questions read on air, hit the super chats, any donations are appreciated and we'll be reading your comments as well as we go through this all right um instagram y'all know what y'all know what to do so one thing with like the last two years okay and i'm gonna tread lightly because we're on youtube <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will try my best <laughs> right but it's, i'm gonna tie it into um with the election right and and everything that we've been having a conversation about right now yep 
how do you think the pandemic has af- affected all of these different social, socioeconomic and, and, and different things that, have, that we've been having, having a discussion about? It's exacerbated them to the max. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just made everything tenfold, a hundredfold worse because people were already stressed before the pandemic yeah. about life, the cost of living and just trying to make it. Um, with this, the limitations on where you can go, how you can work, um, what you're being told to do, mm-hmm. and then the disputes within families, um, it's just driven people apart. It's made people lose a lot of hope. Um, mm. I know people who have taken their lives because of this. Wow. And businesses are going under. Like, so many people have lost their livelihoods through something to me that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. The, the measures do not correlate with the risk that's yeah. there to the public. And I find that they, they keep talking about misinformation, but the ones who keep saying misinformation are the ones who are propagating or pro- promoting the misinformation. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's such a psychological um, MF, yeah. right? And I think that until we all really get a handle on what's happening and understand it, we will continually to go into the cycle because what ha- what's happening is people are arguing over a false premise. Mm. And if you're arguing over a false premise, you're, you're, you're wasting your whole time. Yeah. Um, what we have to realize is, I, you know, because we're on YouTube, I, I have to be careful of what I say. Yeah. And that's a problem, right? Yeah. We used to have, that is speech. a problem actually. We used to have free speech, but people can read between the lines to understand that if you have an argument over Santa Claus, what's the point? Mm. If you have an argument over the tooth fairy, what's the point? So we're having an argument over something that has existed since the beginning of human existence. Mm. And our minds and our bodies have adapted to things to protect ourselves. Right. If something has been put in front of you that has the potential to wipe out the entire human population, I can get some of the measures, right? I can get that. But factually, that's not the case. Mm. There is no way, potentially, ever, that what has been presented is going to extinct the human population. Mm. So why are we acting like it is? Now, let me ask you, bringing it back to the community, because with our community, or even with the community that you're riding in, I know, or I'm assuming that it was affected, because, uh, especially there's a divide between people who are willing to go get their jabs and people who aren't. So when you get to like areas like Jane and Finch and Black Creek and all that, I would imagine there'll be more people who aren't jabbed than who are. Am I wrong about that? No, I don't think you're wrong about that because Statistics Canada was showing that if we're talking about the African-Canadian population, Mm -hmm. um, they were 56% likely to get it compared to the rest of the population, which was 78% likely to get it. Wow. And then the second highest number was the Latino population which were about 64% likely to get it. Mm-hmm. And Jane and Finch is made up of predominantly African Black descent and, and Latino. And Latino, yeah. So that whole area definitely probably has the lowest rate of what you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving by Driftwood when it first came out, uh, when, the, when the thing came out, the, the pretend solution yeah. first came out, there was lineups. And I'm like, why are all these people lining up? And it's just like, because they've been taught to be fearful. Mm. 
they trust the information source. They, they go along because they're trusting, but because us as people of African descent who have been targeted and discriminated against, we're more critical of the system. Mm -hmm. So our minds are more questioning anything that's presented to us. And we'll say, no, 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 we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait a little bit first. Yeah. And second, like, no, I don't want none of that. And then even like just religious, right? Rastafari and, and other, other Orthodox religions are very much against trying to go too far outside natural ways of yeah, living. Yeah, yeah. And this is a very unnatural remedy to a very natural problem. Yeah, to, to holistic healers and different people like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for the, this Thursday coming up, and this is also another reason why I thought this was like good to do this on live too, because, you know, the elections are coming up this Thursday. Um, there's a whole bunch of different um, um, people who are who are who are running, right? Like, yeah. I guess that's how like the the political system works. On that one day, people could just vote for all the different types of elections. Or am, am I wrong about that? No, no, it's just the one provincial right now. Okay. So we got our three levels. You got your municipal, mm -hmm. which is your city. You got your provincial, which is a province, and then the federal, which is everywhere across the entire country. Okay. So this election is the Ontario provincial election. So each province does their provincial elections at different periods of time. Mm -hmm. But this is ours. And then after this one, it'll be another four years. Um, you get to choose who represents you in your area. Okay. But what the media does is they give you the leaders and they tell you to choose a party, mm. which is deceptive. So the, the NDP or the, um, the conservative party and all that, because that's all I'm seeing when I'm watching CP24 and stuff like that, right? Right. So I'm not aware, like you had to put me on that you're, that you're running, that you're, that, that you're in an election at this point, right? Right, because but, they won't cover small ridings. That's what right? I'm saying. And the fact that I'm running independent, they'll probably shy away from that as well because mm. there is a media a preference to have people vote through parties because when they vote through parties, you can sway how the election turns out. Yeah. If the media pushes enough of one party, they're going to get the vote. Mm -hmm. Or if the media pushes enough negativity about a certain party, they won't get the vote. Right. So that's how it works. This is all controlled, unfortunately, by how much media exposure you get. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, the hardcore people, they're going to go in their riding and they're going to knock on doors and they're going to get support, which is great. Mm -hmm. But again, they're not saying I'm going to do my best for you. They're saying, oh, Doug Ford's going to build a highway. Or, you know, Del Duca's going to ban everybody who's not jabbed from going to LCBO. Right. That's yeah. a fact, right? But they're not telling you that. But I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just hearing about this now. <laughs> you, I watch CP like crazy. <laughs> months ago, Del Duca was running on that. Mm. He's like, when the, when the whole um, lockdowns were heavy, he's like, and we should prevent people who aren't vaccinated from going to the LCBO. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? Like, that's one of the few things that people are calming themselves down for. Yeah. And, and what you should be doing, if you're really concerned about health, you should close the LCBO. Mm. And you should ban cigarettes. Because we're talking about a respiratory illness. Yeah. And you're selling millions of cigarettes. And alcoholism and all types of stuff. Which lowers your immune system. Yeah. Right? So when it comes to politics, yeah, they've been promoting the parties, but what they should be promoting is focusing on your riding. So mm. wherever you live, you should be looking at who the candidates are. And regardless of their party, say, okay, Jim, do I like him? Rob, do I like him? Kelly, do I like her or whoever? And understand what they're about. What's right. their experience? And then you choose who's the best person that's going to connect and represent your ideals. 
that's an effective democracy and election mm-hmm. but with parties you don't get that all you get is the party value the leader and you you think you're voting for the leader mm-hmm. but you're really voting you're supposed you're voting for your representative but they make you vote for your leader so why did that happen like because i know that it's a distrust a distrust for the media i know that there's also distrust for politicians that's just like a general thing that ha- that people yeah, I don't yeah. trust politicians. I don't trust what they say on the media. The, the news is a bunch of liars, right? Yep. But I feel like there's some kind of a relationship that's happening between politicians and media from what you're explaining right here. Because yep. there's certain people who are getting pushed to the front and then others like yourself and other people who are working on on different levels but just as important pushed in the back. Right. Is that is that am I wrong by thinking that? No, you you're not wrong. Um, we got to go way back and you got to go to the printing press and you got to go to newspapers mm-hmm. because when elections were way back happening, whoever had the front page paper and the article influences the majority of people mm-hmm. that then translated to radio. So whoever had access to the radio interview, which I got right now, which mm-hmm. I'm happy for. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you get you or video radio, but what's we on all platforms. Yes. Media. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you get access to the radio back then, you have an advantage and then it became television mm-hmm. right so when media decides now certain media companies favor certain ideologies mm-hmm. we look at the sun newspaper yeah they are known as a right-wing paper that touts racism and all types of nonsense right yeah, they got some crazy headlines oh man i used to collect those papers every time there were shootings back in the day and mm-hmm. they would just plaster, you know, black faces and, and really, really ridicule them. I used to collect those. I still have them somewhere. Wow. But um, noticeably, The Sun is a, a right wing organization. The Toronto Star used to be known as a left wing organization. Mm-hmm. So both of those papers would now write favorable articles for whichever party that they really resonate with. Mm. And then that's what starts to get, become popular. But now what I find is the media is neither right wing or left wing. Okay. They are now just controlling which way it goes. And and I'll tell you a little trick. It's like um when the NDP when Jack Layton was still alive and the NDP was going up against um I can't remember who it was in power at the time, Stephen Harper maybe. Mm-hmm. But the media started giving attention to a group that they didn't want to win just so that group can get enough votes to pull away from the real threat. From the party they wanted split to split the vote as they say that's exactly it yeah they, they'd start to give them attention mm-hmm. to split the vote and um if you notice that sort of happened with the green party now they started yeah. giving the greens a little more attention which is good because schreiner did very well at the debates but what that does now it takes away from the liberal and the ndp and makes the conservative stronger mm. because there's only one right-wing party and now there's these other lefts. But I'm telling you right now, the left and right thing is over. There's no more left and right. Okay. There's just an agenda, and the media promotes that agenda. But people, my analogy is this. Every election, you're given a dollar. And on election day, that dollar is going to disappear. Mm-hmm. Why not spend your dollar? Why let it go to waste in your pocket? Yeah. You can control at least where support goes. And for anybody who's running for the betterment of their community, they should get that support. Don't worry about strategic voting. Oh, if I vote for this person, that person won't get in. No, just vote with your heart. Vote with what you understand. Mm-hmm. But don't let your vote go to waste because that's power. Other countries, people die for votes. We as people, 
weren't allowed to vote. Indigenous yeah. people were not allowed to vote. Women were not allowed to vote because the power structure knows that that's what controls their system. Mm -hmm. And the more that we believe politics is a sham and the more we stay away from it is the more control and power they have. I got a question on voting as um, ex-convict, right? Um, and I'm going to go through, before I actually ask my question, let me go through a couple of these comments here. Salute to the comment gang here. Comment gang strong. Don Phillies, 215 in the building. Adrian, 28, 50, um, 576 in the building. Um, I'll read your question, even though you didn't send a super chat. Um, Adrian wants to know, how do you feel about the recent gun ban slash freeze? Man. I seen um, Justin Trudeau talking about it on the news the other day. I'm 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 worried. I'm I'm worried because it signals a shift in public control. Mm -hmm. Because firearms are not dangerous unless the person holding them is a dangerous person, mm. right? So if I want to own a firearm, which I have every right to, why now am I being excluded from getting one? Yeah. Right. What if I want to understand how they work? What if I want to be a armed guard for some reason? Mm -hmm. Or if I just want to have one in my house to protect my family? Yeah. Um, now that's being taken away from the public. Mm -hmm. And that alarms me because we're seeing other rights and freedoms being taken away from the public. Mm -hmm. So it's not as much as a gun ban that's important. What's important is um, influences into the community that take people away from wanting to use violence to solve their problems mm -hmm. because there's a lot of guns out there and they're not being shot off every day. Yeah. So the gun ban is, is the gun freeze is, is scary. So anybody who's looking to be a legal gun owner, they should really apply now because you won't be able to fairly soon. Yeah. And, and this is the thing with Jagmeet joining the, the liberals, that mm. whole controversy of the NDP coalition with the uh, liberals. Prior to Jagmeet doing that, liberals had a minority government, mm -hmm. so they couldn't just blanketly pass a law. Right now, with the support of the NDP through Jagmeet, mm -hmm. they can blanketly pass any law they want. Wow. So they're playing chess, not checkers over there. Oh, big time. Wow. See, audience, like uh, we, we try to switch it up. I know we do a lot of talking about rappers and the fakari and all that type of stuff, but like I'm trying to make sure that we, we give some jewels to the audience here right and salute to the people who are here click 2 a.m julie jewel robinson peace love um sparky and shen um click 2 a.m in the building yeah man we have nia sing in the mother well i feel like i'm gonna be cursing but motherfucking man, building do it do it man. <laughs> i just gotta watch my mouth you, know what I'm saying? you don't have to but listen i want to go back a little bit just to give people a little bit of like a background um and i feel that will also help them um in their in their voting and stuff like that to to get to know you a little bit better right yeah um so my introduction to you was through music yep right i used to pull up whatever time of the morning and you were like ready to engineer a session yeah. And you had your own studio. Yep. So tell me about that time and starting your own studio. Well, uh, by trade, I was a rapper too. And I still write, write. I got tracks. I got stuff that played. And um, I've been involved in music since 91 mm -hmm. as a dancer originally. 
And then because I couldn't get in the studio with the group I was dancing for, I got my own equipment mm -hmm. and started my own studio so me and my boy could rap. Shout out to Shamari from Too Crazy Mental. Okay. And um, from Salute. there, because we were one of the first publicly open hip hop studios in the city mm -hmm. from 93, um, word just spread Yeah, I was there. And because I value hip hop so much, like it's a part of my soul. Like that's hip hop, me, we can talk hip hop classics every, any time of the mm -hmm. day. And um, just the neighborhoods start to understand, okay, there's a studio here you can go to, you're gonna come in, you're gonna drop your track, you'll get a beat produced, drop your lyrics, and you'll be able to go home with a copy yeah. that's listenable, right? Um, it was hard to get that in any studios. And because of, I'm lucky I have a certain level of discipline, I made sure my customers were satisfied, mm -hmm. my rates were super affordable. I started out at $20 for three hours. Wow. You get three hours of my time for 20 bucks. Y'all hear that? $20 for three hours, yo. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And then and by the time I got in there, how, like, what was the standard around that time? Because the studio was looking nice by the time I pulled up in them times. Oh, thanks, man. Um, I think you, I think around you, it was 40 bucks an hour. Wow. It was about 40 bucks an hour. And the then. studio was like way worth, worth way more than that. Well, yeah. And I had all that experience of engineering people. So I would make sure the vocal sounded nice. Mm -hmm. I understood, you know, punching in because I'm such a hip hop fan. I could help the artists make sure their lyrics were on point and how yeah. they dropped it. So I ended up um, managing a lot of artists because mm -hmm. they were comfortable recording with me. They can get their stuff done in a, in a, you know, a good amount of time, efficient amount of time. There wasn't wasting time. I wasn't bunning the place down when I was working. So yeah. I wasn't distracted. Um, and there was a respect and the fact that other people from different neighborhoods were all coming to my studio. Um, I would give them books when they were waiting, mm -hmm. I'd give them books on African history to read and they would sit there and read while they're waiting for their session. Yeah. And then the conversations between different um, groups just flourished. People made connections and a lot of the beefs it, were settled. I remember on stage, the beef between Flemmer and Regent Park was settled at one of my shows. Mm -hmm. You know, the jump off we did in 2009 down at Opera House. And um, it's just, it's connecting with people through art. And then that's how I got into politics and music. I right. mean, politics and law. Because I started, I was doing co-op. Uh, I was doing co-op places for high schools. Mm -hmm. And then these young people were telling me, you know, I got charged with this or, you know, this happened. And then I would show up to court for them. And I would advocate and say, you know what, this person's a good person doing good things. And then a lot of the guys started asking me to be their sureties. Mm. And I was actually sureties for quite a few of the men um, that, that were doing music at the time. And then that experience made me understand how law was working. Yeah. And then one of the artists I used to record, um, he became a lawyer. He was a teacher. He, he became a lawyer. And That's then crazy. he uh, hired me. He said, Nia, and shout out to Louis Dallas. Mm -hmm. right? He said, Nia, uh, you know the law come work with me as a legal assistant. Mm -hmm. So I started showing up in court, speaking to the judge, setting dates. And then after he just said, you know, instead of me paying you for your time, let me pay for your LSAT prep. Mm -hmm. I did my LSAT prep, got into law school, and then the rest is a wrap. And and for, for some of the people who don't know, man, like Nia has been, when he was working on music, like he was working on like some, some of the bigger artist in the game you know what i'm saying like i met don million through through um working at nia studio you yep, know what i'm yep, saying yeah like you engineered like pretty much all of those albums or most of those albums at that time for him no well, well fonz was doing the engineering but i was doing the managing mm -hmm. so i did his a couple of his early recordings but because we were so close and from the same neighborhood 
um, there was a trust there. Yeah. And it's hard to trust people in this game. Mm -hmm. But Millie and I had that mutual respect and um, I was managing his stuff and that's how we ended up getting you know, nominated for Rap Video of the Year 2006. Yeah. Walked the red carpet, got the distribution deal, even had the documentary, you know, mm -hmm. Alias the Movie filmed. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, working with um, TNT, Point Blank, Out the Trunk, 20 Below, like so many different artists from different neighborhoods. Yeah. We just formed, we just had that respect for each other. And, um, there was a lot of scary times in the studio. I could like, imagine you just like, named some gully crews, bro. Trust me, bro. Like <laughs> the amount of, of things that were around and the amount of times that even I had to put my hand out and just stop a man from <laughs> Yo! whatever. Like literally, I can tell you, like I remember being at shows. We're mm -hmm. out of town and things are heating up and I'm just like, yo. And then the man never respect me and it, it wouldn't happen. But yeah. It was real. It, it was real. And it and was. If there was only Instagram in them times. Holy fuck. Oh my gosh. I don't know what would happen, man. Well, we would have blown up by now if we had social media back then. Yeah. Yeah. We were recording on tapes and print, printing records and CDs. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. um, it's, it's, it was an experience. Um, a lot of my fondest memories are from there. Mm -hmm. I miss, I miss being in the studio. Um, I miss seeing that creativity come out of people who felt like they didn't belong or felt like they didn't have anything and then mm. seeing them create something that they can roll with and develop. It, it was the best feeling in the world. And I'd like to see more of that. Like I'd like to see more studios pop up mm -hmm. and more people put their energy into art instead of other negative things. Now, before we go into like even some more stuff in the legal stuff, right? Um, cause I want to get some like legal, um, opinions for some of the stuff that's happening currently in the news. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I want to like take us through like, um, a, like a journey basically. So from the music and you get into law, right. Give me some of the pitfalls that you might've dealt with on the way up dealing with the legal profession, especially as a black man. <laughs> when I wrote my LSAT, I didn't get my score. Funny enough, um, the documentary, the Alias documentary was being filmed the same time. So mm. the camera crew followed me to my LSAT test. They got permission to be there because it's really tight. You can't have any electronics. You can't have any notes or papers. You go into the room, you do this test without yeah. any breaks, and then you come out. So they showed up. Um, I did my test. I got the letter for the test score, and they were waiting. So I open it, and then it says, your, store, your score is canceled. I'm like, why is my score canceled? Yeah. Because they want to know if I have a good score enough to get into to law school. And then I had the, the subsequent letter said, a test invigilator watched you leave the room, pull a cell phone out of your pocket, and when a camera crew approached you, you bolted. What? So they thought I cheated on my LSAT. Crazy. I was tripping. I was like, what the F? Like, who's trying to sabotage this? Because, hmm. This was a major move for me and for the community and everyone around me. Yeah. So I was basically being told I cheated. And once you have a, a canceled score, you can't send, if you send that to a law school, they're just going to throw that away. You're not mm. giving you any play, yeah. especially when they think you cheated. Lucky enough, the camera crew was filming just before I came out of the door mm. and they filmed and they, and, and you see me come out walking and talking. And then the camera guy comes up to me and says, Hey, Nia, like, do you want to call your daughter? Right? Because, you know, I'm 
father of two children. He's like, do you want to call her and, and let her know how you did? I said, sorry, I can't. My phone is in my car. Mm. And then he's like, here, I got my phone. I'll give it to you. So he passes me the phone. Then I said, look, I don't want to talk on, I don't want to use the phone in here. Let me walk outside so people don't think I had a phone or I'm cheating. Mm -hmm. So I walked outside and that's all on camera. Yeah. Funny enough, that's exactly what the presumption was. Whichever racist fool thought I was cheating, wow. you know what I mean? Had a video that came out to show that it was, they were totally lying. And that really opened my eyes to law too, because mm. eyewitnesses, 90% of the time, they're not accurate. So scary because like you're getting messed up while inside of the legal system. Like it's like, how do you defend when you're trying to become part of the system that defends people? I was so crazy. I was almost blocked. <laughs> I was almost blocked. Just saving except for that video. Wow. So that was the first pitfall. And then the second one was when it actually became a lawyer. Mm -hmm. We all know there's legal aid, right? So we have to apply to be on the legal aid panel. Me and another guy, we, we both graduated at the same time. He worked, he was articling at the same place as me. Mm -hmm. We both put in our applications and you're supposed to get approval within two weeks. Yeah. He got his approval. I didn't get mine. And then I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And I didn't get mine for three months. Wow. Which ended up backing up all the work I was doing. To this day, I haven't caught up with my legal aid. I, I've done maybe 50, 60,000, maybe more of work without being paid. I think close to $100,000 of legal aid work I've done without being paid mm -hmm. because of the initial backup. I never was able to get into a groove in a system of submitting my bills. So I just work on cases, bills never get submitted. I finally ran into one of the higher up people in legal aid and I, at, at court and I said, look, this is what's happening to me. She said, you know what, I'm gonna check into it. She pulled some strings and went in and she found out somebody had blocked me from getting my approval wow and then it eventually got unlocked that's so crazy like i know <laughs> it's it's nuts yo i can't believe what i'm hearing man this is happening here in canada in toronto in toronto yeah wow. And, wow and mind you at the time when i was blocked remember throughout law school i was fighting carding mm -hmm. and i was in the media a lot so people already knew of me. I think some people knew of me before I even became a lawyer. Right. So I don't know if this was a malicious attempt to block my progress mm -hmm. or if it was a glitch, but I, I think it's more of a malicious attempt. Like well, I can't see on. a glitch like that. About this time we get to the second time, the test, and then this, the, putting your stuff forward, like it's, you know, it doesn't seem like a glitch, but when in the legal profession and stuff like that right yeah and you know you start to get into like dealing with cases and stuff like that was there any time like, was there any like a case that you wouldn't take almost once i wasn't there was a human trafficking case mm -hmm. someone stopped me in the hall i was rushing somewhere and they're like sir please are you a lawyer i said yes um i have a case i need your help and i'm like i i can't take on any more cases but then I, I thought back to why I became a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, what's, what's the charge? And they're like, human trafficking. I'm like, no, I'm not dealing with that because I don't support any abuse of anybody or exploitation. I'm not into that. I don't support it. But then I stopped myself and I said, wait, I haven't even heard the accused yeah. side of the story. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go meet with them and hear what they have to say. Mm -hmm. And then I'll decide. 
met with them, heard we had to say, and I'm like, you know what? I'm defending this person because the story didn't sit right with me. Right, right. And um, after like a long fight, I got him out on bail, but you know, the rest of the story isn't so happy because of the way the system works. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it was a case that I wasn't going to take until I really thought about it. And then I took it. Now, I don't like taking sex assault cases because I, my nature is not to be aggressive at people. Mm -hmm. right? I, I will use my mind. I will be, you know, strategic, but I can't twist a woman's words and make her feel a certain way. Like it's just, it's not my skill. Yeah, yeah. And I recognize that. So with sex assault cases, I usually pass them off to another trusted lawyer that I have mm -hmm. who's, who's able to do his job in that way. Yeah. It's just not me. I'm advocating for other things in a different way. Mm -hmm. So I would take any case that I feel I can represent fairly. Um, I'm trying not to take any more cases because I'm overloaded. Mm -hmm. um, but so many people need help. And my soft heart kind of gets in the way sometimes. But um, I, I would really love new lawyers, anybody who really wants to work in the social justice arena. Right. I would love to train them on my set of ways of doing thing and um, have other lawyers that could support so so my firm can take on more. Mm -hmm. Because um, we do great work um, and we just don't have enough resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not enough people who want to who want to jump into that. People are so busy wanting to be rappers and so much other shit that they. They don't want to get into the things that you that you're you're dealing with, man. Yeah, but even lawyers who are able to practice, you know, I'm not gonna slam on the profession, but a lot of lawyers are out for their money, mm. right? Which is fine. They, you get your money, but there's got to be a balance between your role as an advocate yeah. and your money. And um, you know, I'm about advocacy, so mm. I need people on my team who see it that way too, or else there's gonna be a disconnect with what Maat Legal stands for, yeah. as opposed to other firms. So you mentioned that in 97 that you tried your hand in politics. Yeah. What made you try your hand in politics from back then to even like where you are now, like from getting into music to the legal profession to like now you're running for, for, for council, right? Um, MPP. MPP. Yep. Um, for, and give me the district again. Humber River, Black Creek. Okay. Go vote. All right, please. And if you're 18 and over, just do it. Do it for me if you're not going to do it for yourself. But yeah. no, honestly, do it for yourself because it gets you engaged. So please, the young people, mm -hmm. they make the difference. Yeah. If all the young people voted, they could control where politics goes in this country. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, exercise your all right to vote, yo. You know what I'm saying? We 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 have a right to vote. Y'all should be exercising it. I'm I'm going to be exercising my right to vote. Good. Now, with that also, are convicts allowed to vote? Yes. In United States, no. Interesting. In Canada, yes. And that's a big misperception because I know a lot of people I meet, they think they can't vote because they have a record. Mm -hmm. That's not the way it works here. If you're inside, you can't vote. Okay. But once you're released, you can vote. So even if you have a pending charge, you can vote? Of course. Wow. Of course. Canadian citizen, 18, you can vote. All you have to do is show where you live. Mm -hmm. Right? You just have to show where you live because that's the riding you're supposed to vote in. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. It. Okay, okay. But you were asking me my path from my first election to, up to, until to, now. To getting into, like, because you, you're still dealing with, you're still in the legal field, but I feel that your passion for politics grew. Like, you ran for mayor last year. I did, yeah, 2018. I ran yeah. For mayor. yeah. My passion for politics is because it's my passion for people. Mm -hmm. My passion to see the human race and people have a good life. Yeah. And the first time I ran is because I saw there was a disconnect between government 
and the people. And how I was introduced to that is a, a gentleman named Winston Roots. And mm -hmm. anybody from Finch would know Winston Roots and Roots Pharmacy. Okay. Um, I was involved with helping get the Marcus Garvey Center in the West End established. Dope. And when I had spoken with him and met him at a couple of events, he saw something in me. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I owe him so much gratitude because he was the first person that exposed me to the wealthy black class. I didn't even know black people had wealth in, in the city. Like, I'm, I'm not aware of it right now. <laughs> the only wealthy people I know is like, well, I won't mention them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's a whole set of wealthy black people that we don't know of. Mm -hmm. The way I found out was the Harry Jerome Awards. Okay. He gave me two tickets to the Harry Jerome Awards and I went there and I'm like, I'm looking around and I'm like, all these black people with money, I go, why is our community suffering? Mm. I couldn't make the connection. And then he introduced me to a, a political, a young political organization where they supported one of the parties. And he said, you know, become a member. So I became mm -hmm. a member. And then after becoming a member, the person that was running in my neighborhood needed volunteers. Yeah. So I showed up as a volunteer. And I did one day of uh, one or two or two days of volunteering, knocking on doors, spreading up flyers. And then I realized, wait, this person's just, just like me. Like, this is something I can do or that person can do. This is not, uh, you don't have to jump through hoops and be different to mm -hmm. be a pol like to be in politics or to run for office. Yeah. And once I got exposed to that, I said, next election, I'm putting my name up. Mm -hmm. And I put my name up in 97 because Toronto was amalgamated. Right. It was a mega city. It became the mega city. Uh, right. And, and what I realized. Or the GTHA or something like that, no? No, it, it was the mega city. The D GTHA is the Greater Toronto Hamilton area. So okay. the D GTHA includes Hamilton. GTA is Greater Toronto area, which includes like Saga, Peel, York Region, and uh, Durham Region. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but when I when I ran, I realized that okay, anybody can do this. And I said I wanted to bridge the gap between government and the people. Mm-hmm. Again, because I was able to, I had good vocabulary, reading, etc. I was able to understand things, but I knew other people around me who were smart, but just didn't have that experience uh, reading or doing things like that. So mm. they didn't translate the way I was able to translate. Right. So I said, you know what? I'll represent the people. I have no problem doing that. And I thought, okay, I'm going to put forth my good ideas. I talked about water quality. This was before Walkerton. I talked about water quality. I talked mm -hmm. about indigenous issues. I talked about things that made sense. And then after the election, I, you know, I thought I was going to win, right? right? <laughs> At which everybody does. But after when I saw the results, I was like, okay, this is not about ideas. Yeah. This is about how much money you have and how much volunteers you have. Mm. And so I said, okay, I'm not going to run again. I'm going to wait till I'm older and established, and then I'm going to start doing it. So in 2010 is when I put my hat back in the ring because I was older. I was approached, I was what, 30? Mm -hmm. So 30 yet? Yeah. 30. And um, 36, and I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start getting people to know me again because I know it's time to build up your name. Sure. And I was running in in Malvern, um, you know, Alton Towers, Malvern area where where I grew up, and um, I just, people, I saw that people liked me. I saw that at the debates, I did well, mm -hmm. but I didn't have the infrastructure. And because I was always working, I was running studio. I just started back in university mm -hmm. and I was doing this stuff for with, um, the, as a legal assistant. Right. So I don't have like, it's not like I'm inactive. So I have time to knock on every door and do everything. I give everything I got, but that was a difference. So then I ran 2010 
And then I saw an opportunity to run with the Green Party. Mm -hmm. So I ran federally with the Greens because I found the Greens didn't have all this criteria and they didn't control your words. Right. I didn't want to run with a party that would control what I said because I believe you need to get the authentic me and I authentically have to represent the people that are around. Mm -hmm. And I, I ran for the Green Party a few times. They loved me. They wanted me back. But people would always stop me and say, we like you, but you're with the wrong party. Mm. So then I made an attempt to get the liberal nomination back in 2016. Um, again, ethnic voting is what defeats good candidates. Right. Because if you're in a major Chinese area, you could be the best representative in the world. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have a Chinese last name, they may not vote for you. Right. And then I was experiencing that in, in Malvern. Um, because my name is Singh and because I'm black, even though I'm half Indian, half black, but mm -hmm. I appear black. Uh, people who were Indian didn't want to vote for me. They said, mm -hmm. oh, he's black. And the black people didn't want to vote for me. They said he's Indian. He's Indian, yeah. Right? Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. We're so divided, man. Super divided, man. But what I always got is people in the area still respected what I had to say and appreciated. Mm -hmm. But it's this political machinery that defeats good representation. Yeah. So our government suffers because of that machinery, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I just keep going. I'm a lawyer now. I, I, I have a voice in, in the public. So it's almost like being elected without being elected. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll still strive to get elected because I know with getting elected, I'll have resources to do more work right. um, and, and try to improve lives for people. Let me ask you one um, more question before we get into like some of the more current topics, right? Yeah. Do you think having your legal experience assist in politics as well? Absolutely. Tell uh, me why. Because you have to read a lot of information and you have to understand laws and lawmaking. Mm -hmm. And I found that a lot of politicians, at least the very successful ones, were lawyers. John Tory was a lawyer, mm -hmm. right? Um, having a legal degree gives you that, that added ability to sift through knowledge, to be respected, right? Uh, and for people to value your words. Yeah. So I just found it as an advantage, but I really became a lawyer to protect the community and protect myself, mm -hmm. right? Because I thought about it, like the most critical thing that decides every day is the law. Mm -hmm. So if you know how to navigate and argue the law, then you are really at the helm of how society functions. Yeah. And um, it's been a great asset because people can't just say things to me and I'm like, oh, okay. No, it's like, um, actually no. Or, yeah. or yes, and this, because I've done the research and, or had the experience. But being a lawyer in social justice, especially criminal law, I'm exposed again to so many injustices and so many challenges where now if I were to be elected, I know where the dollar should go. Mm -hmm. I know what's needed to improve people's lives. Yeah. So it's that experience that's really beneficial. Oh, that's that's dope, man. That's dope, man. Yeah, man. We have Nia Singh in the building. We're doing an ex exclusive YouTube live. Big salute to the comment gang. Um, I want to uh, read a couple of the comments that are over here. Big salute to Rashad Harris. He says, "Yes, brother." Um, big salute to Peace Love. He said, "Um." They say politics and talent shows are a lot in common. The media and corporations are the judges. Politicians are the contestants. Wow. What do you think of that statement right there? That's deep. 
the media aren't the judges. The people are the judges. Mm. The media is the medium of the message and the contestants are, most of the contestants are the politicians. Um, if you're just running for the sake of getting a position. Yeah. Um, for me, it's different. I'm running because I want to improve lives. Mm -hmm. I want to improve the future of my family. I want to improve the future of your family mm -hmm. and all the viewers. The viewers who are young or, or viewers who have children, what, what's going to be left for them to hold on to? What mm -hmm. freedoms are they going to have? What abilities are they going to have to navigate this nonsense that's happening right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not going to have much unless people stand up for their rights, right? And, and, you know, I don't look at myself as a contestant, even though it's a great analogy that he mm. put there. Um, but that's me. I'm a bit different than the regular people who run. Yeah. Right? Um, I'm doing this because I really believe in a society that functions coherently and mm -hmm. cooperatively. There's no reason why not every human could have a house and food. Like, there is no reason. Yeah. A aside from greed, right? And aside from greed, and, and greed... And politics go really hand in hand. And it's so funny. The two things that people despise or don't mistrust the most mm -hmm. are lawyers and politicians. Lawyers and politicians. That's crazy. <laughs> and I'm right in that field. Yeah. But I'm the opposite of the stereotype. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And even being the opposite might be unbelievable because it's like, oh, sure. Yeah. They all, they say, all say, yeah, they all yeah, say yeah. That, right? But trust me, check, check my track record and you'll see. And Friday, Ricky Dredd, man, you know my history and you're letting yeah. the people know. So... No, listen, I, I, I don't usually delve into the politics too much, but through knowing you, it has encouraged me to actually look into politics. When you ran last year for mayor, it was the first time, and this is no cap, it's the first time I ever voted, dude. Wow. Like, wow. in 40-something years, it was the first time I ever voted, Yo. because I know you personally, and I was like, I'm going to do that. I, I'm going to exercise my right to vote. I'm going to, the voting is right in my building in the, in the, in the first floor. <laughs> I just and, walk right by them all the time. I don't care. And you're part of the reason why I finished in the top 10, mm. right? My first time out without much ability to, to canvas the city. Yeah. I finished in the top 10. And, and thank you for that. And thank you. I hear that a lot from a lot of the people in the community. Well, you know? I, I say that to say, because when people can identify with the, their politician or the person that they're that they're seeing as the politician it encourages us, us more to be like you know what i know that person i know he's a good person he's not trying to mess over the people i won't feel bad like voting like saying okay well maybe will, will he screw us over later no i actually know him yeah you know what i'm saying yeah. and for the people who might not know you personally if they know where you come from they know that they you all come from the same type of backgrounds and different things like that it puts that trust in there where they're like, well, he ain't going to screw us over. Absolutely not, bro. You know what I'm saying? Because that's all the not. people want. They just want, they, they vote for somebody that they just say what they're going to do. Trust me, if I wanted to be in one of those parties mm -hmm. and elected, I would have been already. Like, if, if I want to be with them, I can play the game. You know what I mean? It's not hard to play the game. Yeah. Yes, sir. No, sir. You know what I mean? Like, that's easy. Yeah what's harder is being true to yourself and true to the people. And mm -hmm. that's, that's me. I can't not be that. And, and I'm glad that you were inspired to vote. And I hope every time that I run more and more people are inspired to vote yeah. because that's, that's, that's half the reason why I do it. I know the odds 
maybe seem dismal sometimes and i know i'm working all the time so it's hard to do everything i want to do mm -hmm. but as long as i my face can be there and someone can say you know what i know that person or a young person will say wow that person looks like me i could do that one day mm -hmm. that means we've expanded our potential yeah right yeah. and that's i'm happy if that's what happens every time i run no that's dope man and so let's let's get into some of the stuff that you know we see going on in the media one of the things that i've seen most recently i posted up on my instagram page is that um they want money back for the server don't pay that money back i know it's easier for me to say i never took it right, right? and that's one of the things anyways they gave that money out with no strings mm. they encouraged people just 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 apply and i knew i knew from day one it was a scam because why would you be giving out that much money so quickly it's not like anybody hit a roadblock mm -hmm. things weren't really closed it was just the beginning of the pandemic yeah it was way too early to start saying people needed emergency help mm -hmm. and the people who need emergency help should be the ones with the least you don't just blanketly give it to everybody right it was a free money grab and the reason why the government did that in my personal opinion is because they wanted to spend money to say, oh, we're in debt now. Mm, we have to recoup. Raise the debt, yeah. Right? They, they, they did that strategically. And now that they're going after people, because people who took it and they didn't have a, the proper paperwork to take it, mm -hmm. they obviously were in need of it. Right? So anybody who took that was in need. Yeah. The government should not be going after people who were in need at the time and making them pay something back because they don't have that money now mm. things have been worse since then yeah now would have been the time to come out with serb yeah because i'm wondering where where are these people or myself included supposed to get the money to pay these guys <laughs> back like wasn't that a, like a hold that you know our, Honestly, our times are rough i have to look more into it but my <laughs> on my view of how this is and don't take this as legal advice mm. do do this research for yourself but if you don't pay it on your own when you do your taxes, they'll just take it out of your taxes. True. Right? Um, I have a friend who is worried about this right now. And I'm like, look, they gave you that money. You should challenge them in court. Like, why Why was it? Okay, why were you able to get the money if it wasn't for you? Mm. As long as you didn't. I guess this is the one thing, right? As long as you didn't put false information. You're good. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But if you did they still should have had checks and balances, mm -hmm. right? You can't put false information and get other things that the government controls. Yeah. Why is it so easy for people to get served with false information? That means that they weren't vetting or checking. They were just pushing it through. Pushing it through because they had an alternate agenda. The responsibility, the negligence is on the government's behalf. Mm -hmm. So if they're gonna come after you for this, they need to reflect and say, no, you were negligent in the way you delivered this program. Mm -hmm. You offered it to people in need, people accepted it, and now you're liable. And that's really, from my opinion, how this should be handled. Mm -hmm. um, so do with it as you will, audience. But honestly, um, even just investigate, hey, if I don't pay this, will it come out of my tax return? Mm -hmm. The answer is yes. You say, okay. Take it from my tax returns every year. Yeah. Do your research, audience. You know what I'm saying? Um, to take it to like to the States, right? To Uvalde, Texas. Um, tragic shooting that, that happened in the elementary school, right? Mm -hmm. And they're saying, like, as the, the, the news is unfolding, 
that the cops were outside of the school for like an hour. Yeah. Now, to bring it to a legal standpoint, will there be lawsuits and what kind of lawsuits can these families file? There will be lawsuits. They will file uh, like negligence, mm -hmm. uh, failure to provide necessaries of life, right? Um, but what's going to happen is the police are going to use the unsafe excuse. They're going to say it was not safe to go in. Going in would have jeopardized. Going in would have put the community at risk. Mm -hmm. right? So they're going to have that rebuttal. Um, to me, I wasn't there, so I can't say specifically. But on its face, how it seems, it seems cowardly. Mm -hmm. um, because if you're an officer, that's why you have a vest and a gun and you put your life on the line. Yeah. And, and you know, we have to show respect to those officers that risk their lives in situations like this. Mm -hmm. But those ones in particular, I guess they just became human. They became... They the, got shook. They, <laughs> they got shook is, is right. Yeah. But it doesn't excuse them because they allowed 19 people to die. Yeah. Right? They allowed other people's children to die. I don't know if this is true, but I'm hearing some of those officers showed up and got their kids got their out, kids out yeah. and, and left. I, right? I've heard that too, but there's so many different stories and it, it's, it's hard to trust the media when so many stories are flying at you that I, I still got to like wait to hear more details on that. Yeah, but and when it comes to the question, yes, people will sue. Mm -hmm. They will sue the city. They will sue the police department. And um, what's going to end up happening is they will defend themselves by saying it was impossible to go in or it was unsafe to go in or mm -hmm. that it would have jeopardized the safety of others for them going in. Um, I don't know where the SWAT team was, you know? Yeah. Like in situations like that, you call for SWAT right away. SWAT's mm -hmm. geared up. They've got shields. They got to yeah, bust in. Not just right? like the cops, cops, the SWAT, like that's the tactical team. Where's the national guard? Mm -hmm. You know, Yeah. where's the army? Like you got a guy with two machine guns locked, barricaded in a school. Yeah. You got to call up the real reinforcements. Now, an RIP to those, to the, to, to, to the, uh, what was it? 19 children and, and two teachers. So two teachers. Yep. RIP and, to all of them. And the, the man who died of a broken heart after he found out his wife was killed. Yeah. That, oh, that's crazy. He died of a heart attack after yeah. he just couldn't take it. Yeah. I want to stay in the States for a second because there's the big Rico case that's going on right now with Young Thug, Gunna. Um, they're over there in Georgia. It's the Georgia, it's a Georgia state Rico that's going on, on, on with them. So it's not a federal Rico. Mm -hmm. Now in this, they have 185 charges on them, including racketeering. There's murder. There's, um, you know, they raided Young Thug's place. They found more guns. They found drugs over there. They're saying that Young Thug is the kingpin of the criminal enterprise Young Stoner Life, YSL. Okay? Okay. Including, and they're saying that these guys have been terrorizing the Atlanta area from 2012 to now. Or maybe wow. even 2015, I'm not exactly sure. But from that long to now. And they've been collecting all this information, including some of the lyrics that they've said from Young Thug's songs. They're not using the lyrics against them, but they're using it to prove 
that he is the kingpin of the YSL organization. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. Now he's been denied bail, yep. him and Gunna. Yep. And they're trying to get life from him. Do you think they're going to get life from, from Young Thug based on what I told you right now? And they've, they, they've arrested at least 28 uh, members of, of the team as well. I'd have to know his connection to the actual murders mm -hmm. um, and his actual connection to the racketeering. Now, I think they've obviously charged him because he's a big name. Yes. Right? Now, coming up from where he is, I'm sure he knows and is associated and he could potentially be involved in some way. Mm -hmm. But with a recording career, how much time do you have to be involved in these things? I think they're probably using his name to just bring everything down. Um, I can't I can't speculate on if he's going to get life or not, but what I can speak about is the usage of rap lyrics in criminal prosecutions. Mm -hmm. And it is entirely wrong. It should not be admissible at all because rap is art, right? And rappers say things that aren't true to to promote to promote their persona mm -hmm. right um they may touch on subjects that happen around them but because it's art you can't hold them accountable it's not a it's not an affidavit right right it's not a sworn testimony do we charge rob zombie for horrors and and deaths when he makes horror movies yeah right there there are people making movies of killing people stabbing cutting them open yeah. shooting them that's art we don't presume that they are killers because they've made a movie that depicts killing yeah so if you write a song that unfortunately depicts violence in a negative way that doesn't mean you've committed that violence. Mm -hmm. It means you're telling a story. You're, you're articulating, you're painting a picture. So there has to be more scrutiny over using rap lyrics as evidence at trials. Mm -hmm. Get rid of that. That's, that should be tossed out. Use whatever evidence you have. If you have surveillance, if you have wiretaps, if you have physical evidence found in a raid, use that. Mm -hmm. But rap lyrics should be totally off limits. And I can tell you, I was once... Um, on the stand for somebody being charged with offenses and they were trying to use their rap lyrics. Wow. And I basically showed them the videos and I showed them, this is music. This is art. This is not uh, a testimony. Mm -hmm. And I was getting cross-examined, but you know, held my own on behalf of the music Yeah, because I, I've recorded rappers who talk about stuff they've never done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, myself included. <laughs> it's part of the art, right? I used to believe... Beastie Boys was one of my favorite groups, 86. I'm, I'm a bit older, so... Guys talk, talk to me, pulled out the jammy and let two fly and then kicked off the door and, and shot... Shot her in the eye. You know what I mean? I was believing some of that stuff. I'm like, wow, these guys are bad, right? Mm-hmm. But when you look, reflect, it's, it's just art. They're just telling the story. Yeah. And that's what's happening now, too. And um, unfortunately, these prosecutors and, and police, unfortunately, get so excited mm -hmm. when they get this evidence. And I could tell you in Toronto, the amount of disclosure I get when it comes to reviewing videos, it, it amazes me. A guy could be in a video for about three seconds. And cops are trying to use that as evidence to say these, these guys are part of a gang. Whoa. So, okay. Um, 
you know what? Let me put the Young Thug. Actually, let me put that on, on the Pinterest for a second because yes. I definitely want to talk about that. One more thing with the Young Thug um, incident, right? Yeah. They denied him bail. They said he's a flight risk. Him and Gunner. They denied both of them bail. They said they're a flight risk. And their next hearing is in January. What? Yeah. So their whole summer lock no, off. No, that's, first of all, they can seize their passport. They go nowhere, mm. right? They have businesses. They're notable. They're earning incomes. They have jobs. Like, they can be on bail. They're supposed to be presumed innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. They should have that opportunity to continue with what they're doing until the trial comes to an end. To deny two people of that level, high-profile bail, with the resources they have, they mm -hmm. have the money to put up. They yeah, have for the sure. Resources. So to me, that's like... It's, it's sending a different message. It's sending a message that we're coming for you. Mm. And it's pretty much the, the case is already, already sh shut and done. In, in their mind, the prosecutor's mind in the state. In their mind, but I just don't understand how a judge wouldn't release them on a bond when they probably have a lot of um, ability, resources to post bond. Yeah. It, it would have to either be overwhelming evidence against them to deny them or just straight bias and racism when they denied. Okay, now let's get back to courtrooms and music videos and images of rappers and stuff like that. How often are you seeing that in court, man? Almost as often as I see people getting charged because they're smoking in their car. Listen. Wow. Stop smoking weed in your car. Okay, <laughs> honestly. Lesson. Stop. Stop bunning in your car. Stop building up in your car. Put all your weed in the trunk. Very simple. When you want to smoke, get out of your car. If you're in the back seat, if you're in this passenger seat and you have any marijuana, you're being charged with control and care of a vehicle and every one of you is getting searched. Wow. And your whole vehicle is getting searched. I don't agree with that because it's a violation of your rights, especially Section 8, unreasonable search and seizure, but the police are using it. I even have a case where <laughs> I have a picture of, of the guy's console of a Tim Hortons cup. Mm -hmm. There's nothing on, on the top, like nothing. This cop says to the driver, what's that? That's, that's marijuana ash on, on, on your thing. Get out. I'm searching the vehicle. Mm. Like, and, the, and, and you could imagine what happened after that. There's no weed in the car. And he said he smelled weed in the car in his notes. I cross-examined the officers at a preliminary hearing. Mm -hmm. Every time I asked the other officers, um, when you went by the car, did you smell anything? Oh, no, I didn't smell anything. Did you see anything in the car? No. Did you see any marijuana? No. Every other officer didn't see nothing. Except for just one. The one who instigated the stop and who did the search and why the person is now under some, some heavy charges. Uh, so not only are you putting yourself at risk by smoking in your car, but know that that is going to be an excuse for cops to search your vehicle. To dig the whole car down. So you, you, you have to be squeaky clean. Yeah. Because at least, it, like what I'm saying, I have that picture with no marijuana. That's going to be really critical at the trial. Mm -hmm. Right? So if you know you have nothing on you in your car, it's only locked away in the trunk, you're fine. You say, no, I don't consent to any search. And if they violate that, then it's going to be a charter breach. Yeah. So please, please don't smoke in your car anymore. 
because it just gives it, it just violates your rights because now not only you will be searched in your car but every passenger mm. and you don't know if, if homie in the back's got the thing on him and you don't even know and next thing you know everybody's everybody's messed up now yeah night's done yeah Th that's it but you were asking me a question before that and i and i went into that because it really i really just want to send that message out because mm -hmm. i want to prevent harm right and that's your free legal advice don't smoke weed in your car yeah yeah now getting back to more local stuff right um one of the bigger court cases that's been like taking over the mainstream media the social media is to the top five case yeah okay he was originally charged an rip and condolences to the family of the of the gentleman who was deceased um but he was charged with accessory after the fact okay okay um after that his charges were upped to murder one and there was the whole thing about him and on the run and all that type of stuff that was all over all over the media yeah okay he was finally detained in los angeles a few months ago mm -hmm. and they brought him extradited him over here to toronto maybe about two three months ago tops okay yeah since that time his former co-defendant has been released with that being said with everything that i've just brought to you now from just me explaining that what do you think the chances of him beating that case i would honestly have to know more details of the evidence against him to answer that effectively um I'm I'm kind of shocked as to how it can go from accessory to murder mm -hmm. to first degree. That's a huge jump because for first degree, it has to be premeditated, thought out, and, and acted on. Right. Um, I don't know if this charge being upped was a way of getting him extradited from the States mm -hmm. because maybe on certain level charges. No, no, no. Just so just to give you some, some more context, it was accessory to mur murder after the fact and then upped to murder and then that's when the whole on the run thing happened okay okay right? so it wasn't in between it was up to that okay. and then that happened okay 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 and then after they they, they 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 caught him a few months later brought him back here but like i said since that time you know um and they're, they're, part of the reason what i've seen from the media they said that they believe that he was in the vehicle and all that different stuff right yeah but now that his co-defendant or former co-defendant has been released, it seems like there might be the case might be taking a turn. It might be. And I'm just looking here and it's saying that um, they don't suspect him of being the shooter. Right. So I this is this has been um, in the media. They've said this from a long time ago. So I really don't understand how you can have a first degree murder charge if you're not the shooter. Mm. Um, there's something called party to an offense whereby if you know an offense is going to happen and you're aware and if you're aware and you're kind of part of the ongoings mm -hmm. that surround it then you're a party to that offense so that could possibly be the way they're bringing him into this right um i can't see that stand it seems too shaky but again i, I have to just be honest i need to see the information in order to provide a proper opinion on it mm -hmm. so i can't really say it's um now for the charges to be stayed because uh, yeah that's what happened with his, his former co-defendant co like his charges were stayed yeah so usually when charges are stayed there's a problem with the investigation okay somebody went wrong on the other side somebody did something they shouldn't have done um 
Because and the other side being the, 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 the cops, the legal side. The cops and the prosecutors. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually they stay charges when there's an error on their side. Interesting. Um, if, if the person, if the co-accused was completely innocent, they would have withdrawn the charges. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes crowns, I'll say this, sometimes crowns know they're innocent and they still stay them for some reason. I, I don't agree with that. Something has to change in the system that, but they have that power right now. Um, but it, it really feels like something must have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to speculate beyond that because yeah. speculating can cause some more problems if I say what other things could have happened, right? But let's leave it at that. Um, something must have gone wrong in order for them to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure. I no, no. I, I think to... I think that's that's enough because a lot of us don't know what a state charge even means in the first place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I, like I, you have to literally look it up and be like, okay, you can get the Google explanation, yeah. but like that still doesn't really so, bring enough clarity. So right? me and my boy got beats, uh, another legal professional. Um, oh, salute to got beats. That's six dudes on Cut alumni. He, he he was sitting on the couch over I here. No, no, that guy. He's like propelling through. The system. Mm-hmm. He's a professor, uh, good colleague of mine. He ran my mayoral campaign. Mm-hmm. So shout out to Got Beats. But um, what was I going to say now? Getting sidetracked. Stay. I can explain what to say because we had this conversation. People don't understand the system. They think the judge and the crowns are against you. Mm. What we have to realize is the judge evaluates the evidence presented by defense and okay. presented by the crown. The crown, on behalf of the queen, lays charges on people. Judges don't charge people. Crowns lay charges. Defense attorneys will fight those charges. Mm -hmm. So the crown will present their evidence and the defense will present their evidence. The judge evaluates. So now, anytime a charge is brought, the crown has the ability to withdraw the charge if they want at any time. Mm -hmm. They can withdraw it or they can stay it or they can offer you plea deals. They have full control over what happens. Right. The judge can't control what happens. The judge can't say withdraw that charge. Judge can't say stay that charge. Judge can't do anything but evaluate the evidence. Once we put the evidence in front at a trial, that's when the judge has the power to say, this is an acquittal. This is a conviction. Those are the options. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, I've had a case where a man was house was raided. No criminal record. He was beaten by police task force, um, bloodied up his eye, ripped it. He had to have surgery. He lost his job. He went homeless. Um, I was like, withdraw these charges. You you beat up an innocent man. You didn't find anything. These cops were off. Like they were doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't. He's like, oh, I'll do a, I'll do a peace bond. I'm like, no, I'm not doing a peace bond. A peace bond. Yeah. He wanted to offer some nonsense. And I was like, no. This is this this has to be a withdrawal. Wouldn't so we did the whole trial. Mm-hmm. Did the trial, had the cops on the stand, showing how re- their stories didn't match up, to the point where the judge stopped and said to the crown, You need to figure out what's happening here because your officers don't even know who's complaining. Because basically the officer said assault police. Yeah. And one officer was on the stand and he was the one who in the paperwork says he was assaulted. And he's saying, Well, yeah, she was assaulted. And then she was saying, no, he was. Like, you, they, they, they didn't even whoa. know. They didn't, they didn't get their story straight before? They didn't get their story straight. Wow. So the judge was like, yo, take a break and figure this out. Because mm. he was getting annoyed. And I was too, right? So the crown 
instead of withdrawing the charge, stayed the charges. Interesting. So he just stopped the prosecution. And basically a stay means the charges remain on the books for a year. And if the Crown doesn't revive them within a year, mm -hmm. then they're gone. Oh. Right? So a, an example of a proper stay would be, you know, I've charged somebody, I'm pro we've charged somebody. The witnesses are sick or they've gone missing. Okay, I'm staying the charges for a year, because it's a year. Mm -hmm. But then nine months later, the witness pops up. They have the ability to revive the charge. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what a stay is. The stay is a pausing of the charge, usually without being revived, but there's an ability to revive it mm -hmm. if there's an opportunity to after. Okay, okay. Um, somebody's asking here, Catch-22 wants to know, would you need a pardon for, from a stay? Like, would, you, would it stay on See, your record? And, and, that, and that's the argument that I want to get into because judges should have an ability to decide if a charge gets stayed or, or withdrawn. Mm -hmm. And what my proposition is going to be, and if I ever get it, well, when I get the chance to submit it, it's going to be that if a Crown wants to put a stay forward, the defense attorney should have an ability to apply, to rebut the stay, to say no. The stay is not sufficient. Yeah. And that should be argued in front of a judge. Withdraw it rather than with stay it. Right. And I know if, and I, I, I said to the judge at that case, I'm like, your honor, a stay is going to hang over my client's head. He needs For a one year. Yes. I said, he needs a withdrawal. It's not right. He's like, I may, even if I agree with you, I don't have the power to do anything. Mm -hmm. It's the crown's authority. So something has to change in the legal system where if a crown wants to stay and defense feels a stay is not an appropriate remedy, mm -hmm. there should be an application where they can argue it. The merits why the stay versus the withdrawal and the judge should be able to decide. Interesting. Um, so the question was again, um, if you need a stay for a pardon, and that's why I'm saying stays are not always good because a stay could affect that person's pardon mm -hmm. because it's not a withdrawal. So the judge doesn't know, was it police abuse that made the charges get stayed? Was it some error that made it get stayed? Or was the person actually innocent why it got stayed? Yeah. In my case... The judge doesn't get that information. Or like, well, does, the, the, does the prosecutor or the Crown have to tell the judge, this is why I'm staying the charges? No, they don't have to say why. But I'm saying... That's the, crazy. But I'm saying the evaluating, uh, the pardon people, or whoever, criminal record check, whoever's going to decide if you're worthy of accepting them, they might see the stay and say, no, I'm denying you your pardon. Mm. I'm denying you the job because you have a stay. Um, that's why it's important that the stay should not always only be the last option because mm -hmm. if you had a withdrawal, then there'd be nothing to say. Yeah, yeah. Your pardon would say, oh, okay, withdrawn. Okay, that means it's not a valid thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know the answer to that question if a stay will affect your pardon, but I do know... If it's indictable, you got to be clean for 10 years mm -hmm. before you can qualify. And if it's summary, clean for five years before you can qualify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now it's not even a party. Now it's a record suspension, right? Yes, so. and that was Harper. And that's why people need to vote. Because when you let other people get in power, they change things and make decisions that affect your life. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they change it from a pardon to a record suspension psychologically changes how people look at it. Yeah. Because when you say a pardon, you're like, okay, you're forgiven. Thanks done but when you say record suspension it's just like oh what is that this means, means it's still there but we're just covering it that's exactly right yeah and um 
That's why whoever's in government, it's important. We know who we're choosing to be in government because they decide on how the rest of our lives unfold. Yeah. Um, last couple of things I want to ask you here. Now, social media. Mm-hmm. We talked about lyrics and um, our feelings or, or, or your feelings about them being admissible in court. What are your thoughts on social media posts, videos, different things like that being used in court? And like, give me some experiences of social media postage you've seen that have, for you know, street terms, twined up the man them. Threats. Mm. You can't threaten people on social media because that's something you can't really argue with, right? You're communicating with someone. And if you say, I'm going to do you something online. Yeah. You can't say, oh, I was just joking. Because <laughs> if you say it in person, you can't even say I was just joking. Yeah. Right? Um, that's a major thing. It's the videos and stuff, though. That's kind of where I want to go with this because I've seen cops use videos against people who I said, we were in the video for like three seconds. Mm-hmm. Because they're in a neighborhood and their friends are shooting a video and they decide to stand in the background they're now being associated as a gang. And the person at the forefront of the video or somebody else who's done something horrible, that other person is now associated and believed to be part of the, part gang. Of the gang. Wow, because they're in the music video. Because they're in the music video. I've seen, I've seen, <laughs> these guys have pulled up videos like three, four years old mm-hmm. and trying to say, oh, well, look at this video. I'm like, why are you showing this? This has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. But it's it's in big use. Um, trust me, all you rappers out there, they know who you are. They know your faces. Um, this is something to be cognizant of. Because remember, when um, Rap Sheet came out, remember that? <laughs> and the real Toronto. <laughs> and the real Toronto. Like, we were the pioneers of that, right? Um, man started flashing their things in videos and, mm. and whatever, and then... He started rounding people up. Yeah. Um, don't do that to yourself. Like, just don't. You know? What about comments? Are they using comments against defendants? Like, people having back and forth in the comments, and then let's say something happens, right? Can they say, I seen you in the comments arguing back and forth with this person, and now you assaulted them. So you said that you were going to do it in the comments. That would be circumstantial evidence. Interesting. And what, how circumstantial evidence it works is you have to draw an inference. And it has to be a reasonable inference. Mm-hmm. So although it's not direct evidence, if there's something you can point to to say because of this, the reasonable inference is this happened, there's a potential for someone to, for that to be used as evidence against them. Mm. So for example... When I see you at the club, I'm a bang out. I'm a smash you. And then at the club, the person punches the person who they said they're going to do it to. Yeah. There's no video evidence, no eyewitnesses, yet there's that message. In the comments. There can be a reasonable inference drawn that the perpetrator of the offense is the person who made the comment. Wow. Yeah. Now, there's levels to it because then you have to get into how can you prove the person actually typed that 
right yeah right so yeah th- there, there's that level i wasn't it wasn't me using the account man that's exactly it right but then if you can see that 30 seconds prior that person communicated with their girlfriend and then 40 minutes prior they communicated with a family member there's a reasonable inference that and the same person the is using the phone. Oh, right? man. Yeah. Yo, it gets sticky, man. Listen, I, I really feel like this conversation that we're having here is so important because, one, like, besides, like, getting to know you and, and the different platforms that, that, just, that you stand on and stuff like that when it comes to this election, just to give some knowledge to the people when it comes to, like, legal advice, things that are going on here, man, like, it's super important for us here, man. Absolutely. Um with what's going on this Thursday coming up, what do you want to leave the people with? I want to leave the people with, if you're 18, please vote. 18 and over, please vote. Please encourage your family to vote because it's your opportunity to exercise your power. Mm-hmm. We don't have much power as a community. Care about a time we have power. We used to, right? They already took that from us and mashed it up and now we're all confused. Yeah. But, Voting is something you can do. You have to have control, as much control as you can over your environment. Don't let it just pass you because you're too tired or you're too busy or you think it doesn't work. It mm-hmm. it works. Um, the system is messed up. I know it is. But just imagine if there was one person with a similar view that I have running in every riding we would have a potential to have a government that actually worked for the people. Mm. And I know I'm not the only person who thinks like this. There's got to be others out there. I know there's others out there. I've met yeah. them, right? We have to start just paying a little more attention to our future and paying a little more attention to how our immediate decisions uh, decide our future fate. And not only the fate of us, but the fate of our children and our, and our loved ones. Mm. Um, so... Just imagine, it, it, you know, if I were elected in Humber River, that would make a difference to that community. I know that, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's just as simple as that. When you have people in the right places who are ready to do the right thing, give them, give them that dollar that you have. Give them that power. Transfer that power from you to them mm-hmm. so they can do something positive with that. Yeah. Um, as long as we stay out of this game, we will never win. And I'm not saying that voting is the only way to win. We have to be economically stable. Mm-hmm. We have to be educated. We have to be wise. We have to be courageous. We have to be firm and disciplined. These are all other qualities for people's lives to get better. But acknowledging how society runs and being a part of the decision-making process is something we should not just throw away. Right. So I want to leave people with, if you're 18 and you live in the province of Ontario and over. Please vote no matter which riding you're in. All you have to do is go to Elections Ontario, type in your postal code. Mm-hmm. It's going to tell you your riding. And then there's a section that says candidates in your riding. Click on the candidates in your riding and just read the names. And, and they should have links to their websites. Sure. Click on their website and read about them. But at least if you get to the point to read the names... And you just decide, okay, I like this person's name. Like, I'm not saying that's the best way to vote, but it's better than not voting. Yeah. Right? You get to choose. Choose your fate. Choose your own adventure. This is your 
lives. Yeah. And don't worry about the media says, oh, it's a wasted vote here, a wasted vote there. Nothing's wasted because every person that puts their name up to run, if you believe in them, they would appreciate to know that someone believed in them. So I appreciate you for voting for me when I ran for mayor. No, man, I saw. You know? if, if, if you didn't do that, I would have one less vote. Yeah. And if all the other people who felt like you, who never voted before said, ah, I've never voted, but I'm... I'm Why do it now? Exactly. Yeah. I probably have less than half the votes I got. I'm pretty yeah. sure more than half of the votes came from first time voters. And um, I'll continue to do this as, as God willing, I'm healthy. And um, I just want to see us do it. I really want to see other people start stepping up mm -hmm. and doing this. Getting into politics. Yeah. Yeah. The, the earlier you do it is the more experience you get so that by the time you're really established, you can, you can make an impact. No, oh, dope, dope. And well said, man. Mia Singh in the building, a special, special episode right here, or, or, or special stream that we got going on. Big salute to everybody who's here in the comment gang. Um, big salute to Sarah Hansen, Catch22, um, everybody who, who's pulled up right here. Um, like Mia said, make sure to go out there. Um, election is on Thursday. Make sure to go exercise your right to vote and exercise the right to hit that like button too. You know what I'm saying? Um, big salute to everybody out there. Like I said, once again, we'll be tapping in and doing more of these as the summer continues where we're giving live interviews right there on the spot, interacting with you, the people. So um, that's all we got. We offer this. Thanks, Ricky. Peace. Peace.